I love that song. It is so nice to sing that song. Because it's about victory. About what Jesus did. And the benefit on the other side of that. It's so beautiful. Would you pray with me as we get started this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here among us. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, your Son, as we open your word this morning. We pray that you will reveal yourself in it and through us. And God, help us to understand what you're calling us to do and what you're calling us to be, what our thoughts and words and actions should be, and how we can reflect you as your church. Lord, lead us in all these things, and may we glorify your holy name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a very old story about a church member who thought that it looked like rain, and so he concluded that his family, himself included, of course, should just stay home from church. Well, later in that same week, on an evening when it was raining out so hard that he hired a carriage and took his whole family to the Academy of Music to hear a lecture. The lecture was on, and I kid you not, the intelligence of a lobster. When it comes to church, any old excuse will do. We will find the time to do things of lesser importance without even really looking hard. You know, we are called a church by Jesus. And we are given spiritual gifts to use, not, not by ourselves, but in concert with other believers in the body of Christ. We're warned not to neglect the gathering together of believers because it's not spiritually healthy. The church is not a building. It's not an organization. It's not an institution. It's not a club. The church of God is a living, breathing, functioning body of people who have repented of their sins, have asked forgiveness, have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is local gatherings, and it is a worldwide spiritual entity made up of all the people who believe these things and follow Jesus. Now, today we're going to be talking about church. Um, we've been walking through core values. Now, core values are the values at the core of who we are. They're the things that make us function the way we do. Values that determine the way we think and act. And every single person has them. You have them. As a church, based on Scripture, we determined that there are some things that we share together as the particular body which calls itself the Brethren in Christ. Now, this local body, Fairview Church, we're part of that bigger body. And we hold a common set of core values. We actually have a list of 10 that we think are the most important things that we pursue. We share values, for example, about experiencing God's love and grace through salvation in Jesus. And we believe that the Bible is God's authoritative word, his words to us, and we build our lives around its truths. We value worship. And we value a kind of worship that isn't just blah, that isn't just going through the motions. We value a kind of worship which is heartfelt, that is God-honored, and spiritual-directed, spirit-directed, and life-changing. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we value wholehearted obedience to Christ. 
In other words, we follow Jesus. Today, we're looking at core value number five, and that's belonging to the community of faith. Belonging to the community of faith. Well, that's all about church, isn't it? Let me show you our statement about church, and, and it's a little different than you might expect. We value integrity in relationships and mutual accountability in an atmosphere of grace and love and acceptance. Now, that statement tells us really what we believe about how we relate to one another in the church. But this morning, I, I want to go a little bit beyond the statement, and then we're going to circle back to the statement. But I want to explore three things together. I want to explore what a church is, why it exists, and who makes up this sacred body we call the church. And, or, in short, with apologies to English teachers everywhere, I want to talk about what is church, why is church, and who is church. Starting with what is church. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is the one who uses the, first, uh, the word church for the first time. And it's during a teaching moment, he's, he's been traveling with his 12 disciples, and he's gotten to the area of Caesarea Philippi, and he sits them down and starts to teach them, and he asks them a question. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? And the guys, <laughs> they're a bit literal, <laughs> and, and uh, they're thinking about it. Well, you know, I've heard some people say, uh, you're John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and some others say Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets even. And God, they're, they're, they're good answers, and, and, and God shines on them, but, but Jesus looks at them and says, yeah, but, but who do you say I am? And then Simon Peter gives his famous answer. Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Wow. God's been working on him. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I know you're probably used to the other version that says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, but the word in Greek is actually the word Hades. And Hades, in their understanding, wasn't the place of torment and, and a fiery furnace that we think of when we think of hell. Hades, in their understanding, was the abode of the dead. It was the place where the dead went when they died. And, and why did Jesus come to set us free? He came to set us free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. We'll talk about that in a moment. So the Holy Spirit reveals to Simon Peter that Jesus is more than just one of these Old Testament figures kind of raised up again. Uh, Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus looks at him and says, bingo, that's exactly right. And on this confession, on this rock, I will build my church. And Jesus is doing a little bit of a pun here on Peter's name. Peter's name means rock or stone. And, uh, and he's sort of saying, your name is, is rock, but on this rock, this big nugget that just kind of came out of your mouth, on this rock, I will build my church and nothing, not even death, 
will prevail against it. Because ultimately, the church of God is eternal. It's made up of believers. And as believers in Christ, we live forever with Christ. Now, I, I can see Peter saying, you know, <laughs> Jesus says this to Peter, and Peter goes, oh, cool. And then he pauses for a moment, and he goes, what's a church? Because there was no church yet. The church didn't exist yet. Jesus is using the word here just a little bit differently before we get into the book of Acts time. Uh, he uses a word which I'm going to put up here. I, I don't like to, to get too heavy into the Greek words, but I'm going to get all technical on you this morning. Ecclesia is the word that's used for church here today. Uh, you know the word ecclesiastical, right? Ecclesiastical means you know anything to do with church or with clergy. And, uh, and it comes from this, this root word, ecclesia. Well, it, this word is actually based on two other words. It's worst, uh, the first word is the word ek. Well, that's easy. <laughs> first two letters, right? It's ek. It means out or out of or out from. And then the second word, I, I didn't put it up here, but the word is kaleo. Kaleo. And it means... It means to call, to call. So the way Jesus is using this, when Jesus says on this statement, on this nugget, on this rock of confession, I will build my church, the church he's talking about here are the ones that he has called out of the world. Think about the calling of Peter, calling of his brother Andrew, the two of them together. They're fishing on the shore, and, and Jesus is there, and he says, come, follow me. Jesus calls them, literally calls them to follow him. Literally, the church of God is made up of the called ones, the ones that God has called. Now, later in the book of Acts, we find the same word as actually used differently. It, it begins to refer to the community of believers, the called out ones, right? But now we're using it differently. We're using it in terms of the people gathered together in the name of Jesus because we love Jesus and have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's how we use the word today, isn't it? You, as God's church, are the called ones. Jesus called you. In fact, Scripture tells us that, that we couldn't even come to him except that the Holy Spirit draws us to him. He's calling our name. And if you answered that call, then you're Christians. You are followers of Jesus. The church is built on or constructed of you. 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 The called ones. The called ones became his church. Now you are a community. If you look up on the wall over there, we have a big banner that says community on it. And that's what we're talking about. It represents what we're talking about. One of the purposes of the church, community. That's the body of Christ. And God's church is the community of believers who follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So now we come to the the great and wonderful, grammatically correct point. Why is church? That's what they 
pay me the big bucks for is to come up with these snappy little things. So why is church? Why does the church of God exist? Other than the fact that Jesus called us and gathered us together. Well, I, I think we can start where we are right here this morning. What are we doing together right now? And what have we been doing together throughout the morning? We've been worshiping together, haven't we? Church exists as a community of believers who come together to worship God. As we learned a while back when we studied the woman at the well, that story, God is seeking, he says, true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So worship is one of those important purposes of the church. Discipleship is another reason the church exists, learning how to follow Jesus. Acts chapter 2 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was part of it. Of course, they broke bread together and they met together on a very frequent and a daily basis in the beginning. But it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because the apostles had spent time with Jesus. And, and they were passing on what they had learned to the next generation the next group of people. This is who Jesus is. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to give your heart to Jesus. In Ephesians 4, it talks about how God gave the church certain gifts in the form of people in certain offices. For example, um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers gave them to the church. It says they were given for this purpose, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So one of these purposes is to be equipped for works of service, so that we can do ministry. We need a place. We need a people from whom we can learn what we need to learn so that we can do a good job of taking the gospel out, so that we can minister to the world. We need a place to be encouraged and a place to be strengthened. And that's discipleship, and discipleship always leads to ministry. In Matthew 28, a lot of you know this off by heart, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We had a great baptism last week, didn't we? You know, there we were down on the, on the shore of the Antietam, and, and uh, we baptized Addie and Abby, and Pastor Andy baptized his son Micah, and it was just lovely two churches kind of gathered together, and a great celebration. It was beautiful, beautiful time. Why did we do that? Well, we like swimming. <laughs> we like to push kids into the water. <laughs> why, why did we do that? There's got to be a reason we did that. We do that because baptism is a testimony that that person has decided to follow Jesus. And those baptismal candidates, as we call them, as they go into the water, they are the fruit of the Great Commission. We exist to be a community of believers. We exist to worship God. We exist to make disciples. We exist to take the gospel out and do outreach. And we exist to help equip for and to do ministry. 
or if we follow the order of the banners that we have on the wall here in the sanctuary, worship, outreach, discipleship, community, and ministry. These are the reasons that the church exists and all to bring glory to God. Amen? Now, the church exists, just to sort of reiterate this, the church exists to nurture our faith, to equip us with the tools that we need to serve God and others effectively. It's a place where we can grow in our understanding of God's word and understand his plan for our lives. And through worship and fellowship and teaching, we are empowered to be the salt and the light of the world. So, we've covered what is church. We've covered why is church. Now we need to look at who is church. When we look at the Corinthian books in the New Testament, we realize that the Apostle Paul has a little bit of a problem with the Corinthian church. I mean, after all, he helped to plant it, right? He was the one who founded that church somewhere around A.D. 49, A.D. 50. And Acts tells us in chapter 18 that he lived there for about 18 months while he was helping to get the church established. About three or four years later, when Paul was at a distance in another place doing the same thing, helping to get another church going, uh, he got word that not everything was right that there were some problems going on that needed to be addressed before they got worse. So as you're reading, and you know, I, as I'm reading it, I kind of get this sense in First and Second Corinthians that, you know, there are people in that congregation who are getting on Paul's last nerve, you know? That, that he's just about had it with some of these guys. Some folks don't seem to have a clue about what the church is, or why the church is, or who the church is. They're arguing over things like spiritual gifts. My gift's better than your gift. I got a bigger gift. I can do more supernatural stuff. You know, and they're arguing about stuff like that. Uh, the wealthy in the church, they're lording it over the, the other ones and those who don't have as much and making them feel bad and leaving them out and taking the best seats and all kinds of things. People are even getting drunk in communion. Doesn't that make you feel better about your own church? <laughs> I can't remember the last time anybody got drunk in communion here. Uh, maybe happened. I don't know. I don't remember it. So Paul thinks, you know, I, I need to start with the basics. These people, they've just forgotten. <laughs> They're just kind of... They're not there. They're not where we need to be. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he, he starts 1 Corinthians 12. He goes down, he explains what spiritual gifts are and what they're supposed to be used for and how you're supposed to use them. And, and then to kind of bring things home, he says, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Now, what's Paul reminding them of? He's not reminding them of who they are, particularly. He's, I mean, he's not saying what they are as a church or why they exist or who they are as, you know, you're Joe and you're Fred and, you know, their identification. Uh, he's, he's saying you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You're a part of this beautiful thing that God is building, that God is shaping. And so it ought to affect 
who you are as a person, how you carry on your life as you follow Jesus. Uh, let's bring back our statement that we started with at the beginning. We value integrity in relationships and mutual accountability in an atmosphere of grace and love and acceptance. You know the hard truth about the Christian church? It ain't perfect. <laughs> and it never will be a place where people are perfect and problem-free. We are sinners saved by grace. So we're going to mess up from time to time. And, and just as Jesus forgave us, we need to extend forgiveness to others who've hurt us or offended us. So if you're looking for a perfect church where people never get hurt or never hurt you or never offend you, you're not going to find it. Not if you take church seriously. I heard a great interview with Philip Yancey this week, and I want to put up this one thing he said. I, I really liked it. He said, as a church, we need to see the world's people through grace-healed eyes. Grace-healed eyes. Jesus will heal us if we let him. A lot of times when we're offended, don't we like to be offended sometimes? You know, we like to stay offended. You know, we feel offended about something and it's like, well, I'm not going to forgive him. I'm not going to forgive her. I'm going to hang on to this hurt because this hurt makes me feel a little rage and man, that feels good. We don't like to admit that we feel like that sometimes. We don't like to let go of those hurts. We don't like to let go of those, those things that have offended us. We hang on to those things. We need to see the world. We need to see the people around us through grace-healed eyes. Jesus will heal us if we let him. And out of that healing, we will see people differently. We'll be able to show love and compassion and kindness even when we don't feel like it. And we can give grace because we receive grace. And I've told this story before, but I was privileged to be part of a church for several years where I saw that kind of thing going on. Uh, one particular thing really stands out. We had a group of men and women who you might have thought of as outsiders. And uh, it started with a few people, and that group started to grow, people who started coming to the church, and mostly through the invitation of a guy named Steve. Steve just invited everybody, and all these people came, and people got saved, and then their families got saved, and then their friends started coming, and they got saved. It was just this snowball thing. You know, and there were, there were bikers, there were former drug users, there were some who'd just gotten out of prison, and there were some folks who just needed love and grace. And it started with a few, and then it turned into several rows of people on the far right-hand side of the church. And they all sat in a group together, and they were separated from the main body of believers, and, and it went on like that for quite a while kind of a those guys over there sort of thing. And then we had a men's retreat. You know, we went to this men's retreat, and at the end of the day, we had this big bonfire. And it was just a time to share the things that were on our heart. I mean, it was, we had been worshiping together, and, and it moved into this time of confession, and it was very obvious the Holy Spirit was moving. And, and one young man with a lot of courage said, you know, oh, 
he said, I don't really feel like we're connected. I feel like it's a kind of us and them kind of a thing in the church. And then another man, he said the same thing. He said, I don't feel connected. I, I feel disconnected from the other people in the church. And, and then an interesting phenomenon happened. What happened was there were several who sort of shared the same feeling. And then spontaneously, men who were mostly older men, people who were part of the main body of the church, they gathered around those men and they laid their hands on them and they just started to pray for them. This wasn't planned. This is just something that happened. And they began to pray and it was like this big rock wall came down. And we went away from that place different than we came. Next Sunday, I want to see what's going to happen here. You know, and, and everybody starts coming in and everybody goes to their normal seats. And all this group, this isolated group, they all go over here to the right side of the church and they, they all sit together. And, and all of a sudden, the father of the pastor gets up, he's way over here on this side of the church, and he comes all the way across here. He and his wife come together, and they sit right smack in the middle of that group. And then a few more people did it. The following Sunday, some of the folks who normally sit over here, they got up and they moved into the center where they could hear better and see better. And then after a while, the groups began to mingle back and forth until there was no longer an us and them, there was just us. God's in the miracle business. God's in the restoration business. And it's a wonderful thing to see that with your own eyes when that happens. I didn't plan it, but let me tell you another story. On a Sunday morning, I was getting up to preach in a church out in Michigan. And the church had been through a lot of strife. You know, they had had a lot of, lot of struggles, a lot of things. And I think sometimes they weren't even sure they wanted to be a church. They were just trying to figure stuff out. And, and uh, I, I came to the pulpit and I looked at my notes and I closed them. I went over and got a stool and I sat down. And I was just about to share that I felt like we needed to do some honest, you know, work together and pray together and talk together. And, and across the auditorium, a woman stood up and says, Pastor, can I speak? Okay, I let her speak. And, and she says, I think that instead of doing the sermon this morning, maybe we ought to be praying together and do some work together. And, you know, and so God is speaking in different spots in the church. This is sort of happening spontaneously. And people began to get up from where they were and they'd go over to other people who they were having a struggle with and they would sit with them and they would pray for each other. <laughs> and, and pretty soon, like, almost all of us were just crying rivers because it was like, like there was all this healing going on. And by the end of that service, we felt like a totally different church because God was doing a thing. We were being the church of God, the ones called out from the world and gathered together to represent Jesus. That was all happening, and it was pretty amazing. That's church. That's the character of church. That's the church full of love and grace. 
That's who we are, called out of the world and into community. That's who we're supposed to be. Uh, this week I heard Russell Moore say, you know, you can't reject church, and you also can't idealize church. I mean, you can't idealize it in that we're always going to make mistakes. We're always going to be a not perfect people. But you can't reject church either because if you're a Christian, you are meant to be with other believers. You know, that very independent attitude, the sort of just me and Jesus thing that you see so much of today, uh, that kind of Christianity isn't real. You may be a believer but if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to regularly be part of a Christian church. You might have to look for something that you connect better with, but you need to be a part of a Christian church. Or it's not following Jesus because that's part of God's will in terms of how he wants to do things in this world. As I'm finishing this morning, I want to share something personal. I've often been asked to explain my vision this church what is my vision for Fairview Church and I've been very hesitant to answer that question very reluctant uh, one of the reasons is I believe that the concept of church vision has become severely compromised even corrupted you know when we say church vision it brings to mind slogans like we're going to reach 200 by 26 and we quote scripture severely out of context, uh, in the King James, I might add, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we lift it out of context, and we wrap it around an American business model that became very popularized in the 1980s church growth movement. The real emphasis of Proverbs 29:18, the real emphasis is seeing God's righteousness and obeying his laws and before this verse that we misquoted comes a verse that says that God opened their eyes to see so that they could see what God is doing and who God is and what the expectation was for his people let's put that up where there is no revelation or special vision from God. People cast off restraint is what it says. But what's the other half that we never quote? But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. That's about our obedience. When I first arrived here 11 years ago, I was asked what my vision for the church was, and my first response was to see the church as the center of the community. Now, I think we've come a long way towards that, but I think we still have a way to go. But, but here's the thing for me, and let me articulate some of the things I've been thinking, some of the things that have really been moving in my heart. My vision for the church is to have a faithful church that stands out for Jesus because we speak Jesus' words instead of quoting the pundits on Fox News or Microsoft NBC. 
My vision for the church is to see us love so much like Jesus that people begin to understand more about Jesus through meeting us. My vision for the church is to see us following Jesus far closer than we follow the influencers on social media and around the world in general. Jesus first. My vision for the church is to see each person rightly handle the Word of God, to spend time in it, to learn it well enough that we can help other people on their journey of faith, to help them understand God's intention for humanity and for His people. My vision for Fairview Church is that we become a people for whom the worship of God becomes as natural as breathing. That the church should be a place and a people that always proclaims truth in an age of lies and conspiracies. My vision for this church is to see us grow into a group of people who look and smell so much like Jesus that we give off the odor of God. There is a grand difference between vision and goals. We have to have goals or the timbers rot and the roof falls in, right? But our vision for this church needs to be God's vision combined with our obedience to his word. Belonging to the community of faith, the church is a divine calling. Jesus called you. And it's a place where we can grow in relationship with God, where we can be equipped for his service, where we can find a loving family of believers. And as we reflect on what the church is and why it exists and who makes up this sacred body, I pray that we'll be inspired to actively participate in the life of the church, that we will fulfill our roles as the body of Christ. I want to remind you of the words of Hebrews 10.25 that I hinted at at the beginning, that we are to be careful not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And I love the last tagline, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day are we talking about? The day of Christ's return. Isn't that true? Anticipating the day that Jesus will return and his church will be caught up with him. And we will be participating in a different place of worship. That we will spend eternity in the presence of Christ and forever praise his name. Heavenly Father, I humbly pray for your people, your church, of which I'm a part. Lord, we exist because you called us out of the world, each of us by name, into a community of faith, a body of believers. Lord, let us be mirrors of your character. Let us see the world through grace-healed eyes, as our brother has put it. May we fulfill your purposes as a church. Let us be so transformed that we continuously bring you glory. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.